You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this podcast is sponsored by Public Goods, an online marketplace designed for the conscious consumer where you can get everything from coffee to toilet paper, shampoo to pet food. With Public Goods, you can buy all of your premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. Their packaging and products are truly lovely and always made with the health of the environment in mind. I'm currently eyeing the white dinner plates and bowls from Public Goods because they are a beautiful, sleek, and functional design made from high-fire porcelain that is oven-safe, microwave-safe, and freezer-safe. They're elegant for hosting friends, but sturdy enough to withstand family life. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products, which they then offer to their customers using a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation, and we've worked out an awesome deal for 3 and 30 listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash 3 and 30 or use the code 3 and 30 at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash 3 and 30 to receive $15 off your first order. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. I can think of almost no other role in this life that requires as much emotional resilience as being a mom, which is why I decided to re-air this episode that originally aired about 18 months ago because new listeners of the podcast need to hear it and veteran listeners of the podcast probably need a refresher. (laughs) Being resilient means to be able to withstand or recover quickly from stress and challenges, and our roles as mothers gives us plenty of opportunities every day to practice this skill. From enduring a whiny toddler hanging on your legs all day, to discovering upsetting texts on your teenager's cell phone, to trying to meet a work deadline while also managing all the moving parts of family life, to having a child scream at you that they hate you at the end of the day, Sometimes motherhood feels like a never-ending exercise in patience, grit, and self-control. One thing I know for sure is that the more emotionally resilient we become as individuals, the easier it will be to handle all of the ups and downs of motherhood. And the good news is, emotional resilience is something that we can develop more of and get better at over time. Today's guest is Dr. Jen Ride, a mom of six with a PhD in Human Development and Family Studies. She's the host of the Vibrant Happy Women podcast, and her mission is to help busy moms get off the hamster wheel and find balance so that they can be their best selves and love their lives again. Due to her mix of academic expertise and personal experience mothering a large family, Jen is uniquely qualified to teach practical tools that bridge the gap between research and real life. And I know my conversation with her today will help you assess how you are doing with your own emotional resilience and give you a few practical ideas for how you can develop more in this important way. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to mention that my nine-month program called Self-Assured Motherhood will be opening for enrollment in just a couple of weeks, 
and it goes hand-in-hand with this topic of developing resilience in motherhood. In fact, one mother who completed the program in July recently sent me an email, and she said this, It might sound over the top, but you've honestly changed my life, and I feel like a different person to who I was back when I started this course. I've had family and friends comment that I seem so much happier, and it's all down to the course. I've loved putting in the work, joining each week, putting myself first, and learning alongside you. Yes, I love hearing this kind of feedback. You can become a happier, more resilient mother. And if you'd like my help and some weekly accountability to truly make sure that's happening for you, I hope you'll consider signing up for my next round of the Self-Assured Motherhood program. There will be so many more details to come. So if this piques your interest, please go to 3in30podcast.com slash interested to get on the info list for the course. We'll send you more details and make sure that you're the first to know when enrollment opens in September. That's 3in30podcast.com slash interested, and I'll link it in the show notes. Okay, with no further ado, let's get on to the show. Here we go. Dr. Jen Riday, welcome to 3in30 Podcast. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I love what you're doing, and I love these quick, actionable tips you're giving uh, women and moms. So cool. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, we love taking action on these kind of these big, heavier, or what seems more complex topics, if we can just kind of boil it down into some concrete things to do, it's it's so doable for the busy mom. And I love that you're going to do that today with the topic of emotional resilience. And before we start, can you just describe or explain what is emotional resilience? Yeah, emotional resilience in the end is having the ability to handle any emotion or any situation without completely falling apart. Yes, we can have moments where we fall apart, but hopefully emotional resilience really means you process through the emotion and with experience and and time, you can get back to that homeostasis and that happiness that you want to have more quickly as you practice uh, moving through the emotions that are less comfortable, like fear anger, frustration, resentment, all the things we've all felt. Yes. And I do feel like it's something that you, when you're looking for it, you can sort of sense it's growing within you. If you're, if you're working on it and you're looking for it just the other day, I had someone kind of give me some feedback on my parenting. And at, and as I was in the moment, I was thinking when I was a young mom, I, this would have destroyed me to get yeah. his feedback. Yeah. And it was yeah. interesting for me to almost observe myself as I was getting that feedback, thinking this isn't hurting my feelings. I've become more emotionally resilient where I can see the truth in what she's saying without it breaking me. And I can also say, mm, she maybe doesn't have the whole picture and mm-hmm. it's okay if she's wrong about me and my kid and it's all going to be good. Like I walked away from that experience feeling like that didn't hurt. Like it didn't affect me in a way that it would have when I was younger. So I'm getting more emotionally resilient with more experience and work on myself. Yeah. And part of that, you, you know, yourself, you know, what's true. So her words weren't everything to you. You could consider them without letting it destroy you. Like you said. Yes, for sure. We're going to talk about today how as moms we can build more emotional resilience to face the daily struggles and stresses of motherhood. And moms can take these three tips that they're applying to themselves 
and teach it to their children so that their children become more emotionally resilient as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited to dive into this. And why don't you just start with your first takeaway? Yeah, my first takeaway is to practice what I consider the new definition of self-care, which is holding space for yourself. So we Mm -hmm. all know the importance of self-care doing the things that help you feel more emotionally juicy and more emotionally vibrant instead of brittle and burned out and exhausted. So let me explain what it means to hold space for yourself. In the coaching and therapy world, we've all heard of holding space. It means you kind of create an emotional container for another person to examine their thoughts and their life and their emotions. So what would Mm -hmm. that look like for each of us to do that for ourselves? So I like to create an analogy of an attic filled with stuff, a big, filled, cluttered attic. So there's a pile of newspapers, there's a pile of magazines and toys and old clothes. And right in the middle of this dusty, cluttered attic is a clear, empty Rubbermaid container. And it just draws Mm -hmm. your eye. And holding space is kind of like creating that for yourself amidst the busyness of your life and your kids coming in and needing things and your spouse not handling the parenting the way you want or your child having an emergency or misbehaving or a tantrum to be able to say, this is a space for me where I'm going to listen to how I feel. I'm going to understand what I'm thinking and kind of observing, like you said, you were doing for yourself in that moment when the other person critiqued your parenting. So Mm -hmm. instead of thinking, oh, I I need to wake up and do my exercise and drink water and journal, it's all need to, need to, need to. What if we just treated self-care like, hey, right now I'm going to give myself emotional space to understand Mm -hmm. what I think and what I feel and what do I want to process today? Yes. What a beautiful analogy to think of that cluttered attic and saving a little bit of space in there for ourselves or, you know, uh, in our busy, big cluttered house, our bedroom is our haven where we know we can shut the door and hold some space for ourselves. And we need to do that emotionally in our lives. And I feel like it's, it's such a beautiful image to do it for other people that we hold mm-hmm. space for our kids, for their emotions but we don't often do it for ourselves. So what does it look like practically to hold space for yourself? Yeah, you nailed one of the key parts for me is to have a space where you hold space for yourself. Mm. So some people, my friend calls it a she space, by the way, it's kind of fun. Um, A chair where you like to sit and you're thinking or processing. For me, it's my bed. I have a beautiful down comforter that I pull up. And because I've processed emotion and analyzed my thoughts and experience there so often, the minute I get into that space, my brain knows to signal that rest and relax um, response in my body and knows that I'm safe. So it's really Mm. easy to do emotional processing when you train yourself to do it in a space. So Mm. um, yeah, having a space and then having a time when you go there. For me, I go there multiple times a day, especially when I was virtual schooling (laughs) my Mm. five kids who were still at home. You feel that stress and cortisol rising, 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 and you come to a point where you're like, okay, I've got to release this. The the tea kettle's about to boil. I got to let some of this go. So Mm. holding space to let it go. 
Yeah. It just reminds me also of the idea of like having margin in your life where everything's not so pumped, packed up against each other. Like you're going from activity to thing, to thing, to thing, but leaving some of that white space to just feel. And I've been trying to do that more in the evenings, like Mm -hmm. no work after my kids are in bed. It's my instinct to fill that time, but I've just been trying to read, hang with my husband just kind of hold that space for myself to be a human. Yes, yes. And, you know, there are various things you could do with that space. Some people choose to scroll through Instagram. But -hmm. coming back to the empty Rubbermaid container, just to have a few moments where you're not putting anything else in that empty container but yourself and not Mm -hmm. bringing in the Instagram or the Netflix scroll, you know, but to breathe what's going on in my body? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What happened today to process and move it? You know, emotions are really energy. And if we let ourselves feel them and pay attention, they'll move through rather than kind of get stuck in our nervous system. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Little Spoon, the one-stop shop for healthy, easy mealtime and snack time for your baby, toddler, and big kid, delivered right to your door. The transition back into school always feels like a good time to recommit to routines. But between school drop-off, pick-up, and after-school activities, our schedule is still packed. One way to make your life easier is Little Spoon. With fresh organic baby food for every stage, toddler and kids meals that even picky eaters love, and healthy snack time with their new smoothie line, Little Spoon has you covered. The toddler and kid food plates has kids classics like mac and cheese, but with hidden butternut squash and carrots, as well as more adventurous meals like cheesy pupusas or chicken pot stickers, stuff you probably wouldn't make at home that your kid will love and that are packed with nutrients. Little Spoon makes everything fresh and uses absolutely nothing artificial. It's just like homemade, all delivered to your door and ready in seconds. Pop your meals in the fridge or freezer and use them when you're ready. It's that easy. The best part? The price is right. With kids' meals under $6 and baby food and smoothie snacks under $3, it makes trying Little Spoon easy. Make this year's chaos a little more manageable with time-saving, delicious, and healthy meals and snacks you can feel good about. Enter code 3 and 30 at checkout to get 50% off your first Little Spoon order. That's 50% off your first Little Spoon order with the code 3 and 30 at checkout. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest provider of therapy done 100% online. In today's episode, you'll hear me talk about some of my experiences in counseling. And I want you to know that I cannot recommend therapy highly enough, especially for mothers who are trying to manage their children's emotional needs in addition to their own. Through my years of counseling, I've learned tools that make me much less likely to lose my temper or to worry excessively about my kids in situations that I have no control over. And I've been so grateful to have a confidential place to talk through many of my parenting struggles. Therapy is an incredible tool to help you build your emotional resilience, which in turn will mean that you are better equipped to teach your kids how to build theirs. If you feel you might need counseling but are hesitant, nervous, or embarrassed to invest in yourself in this way, let me assure you that going to counseling will be a gift to your entire family. As you get stronger, so will your family. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash 3in30. That's BetterHelp.com slash 3in30. 
My second takeaway is to practice the feel it to heal it method. So once you've created this space, you do feel it to heal it. So what is that? Well, feel it to heal it is used in all kinds of therapies and sometimes coaches use it, but here are the steps of it. You get calm often with deep breathing. I like to kind of cue people or myself when I'm doing this to drop out of my head and get back into my body. So if those who are listening now, just put your hand on your heart and take a couple of deep breaths, you'll notice a shift right there. It's so fun to signal, okay, we're going to pay attention to our body again and not just spin and spin and spin in our minds. And then you just notice what sensations are you experiencing in your body? What's going on in there? Oh, my Mm. stomach. Or I feel tightness in my throat. Or I feel rage in my belly. When I'm feeling uh, sadness, I'll often feel it in my heart area. And if I'm paying attention, I will notice I'll kind of contract and become smaller as if I'm almost physiologically protecting my own heart. Mm. And feel it to heal. It starts with noticing the sensations in your body. Then number two, giving it a name. So, oh, I'm feeling resentment. I'm feeling determination. I'm feeling worry. Give it a name. And then third step, you just stick with the feelings. So if I were helping someone do this and I do the same thing for myself, I'll kind of teach you that method. Say, okay, what am I feeling? Tightness. Oh, I'm mad. Oh gosh. Okay. And I'll see images in my mind. I might see little fire looking beings jumping up and down and throwing a tantrum. I might see red. I might see blackness if I'm experiencing depression. And you can ask yourself, you know, what are the five senses? What do you see? What do you hear? If that had a texture, what would it be? Just try to stay with the emotion. And you'll Mm -hmm. notice over time it starts to dissolve. Well, this really is an important skill because I tried it with my oldest who has severe suicidal ideation. He is on the spectrum. He's had depression since he started puberty and it, it has not shifted and it's awful and sad and it's been years, but he calls me because they have the skill and he'll say, mom, I need to move through an emotion. <laughs> so I'll say, okay, mm. buddy, tell me, what are you feeling in your body? And he won't be able to say the name of the emotion. That's harder for him, but he'll say, I see blue. Okay. Tell me about it. Is it, is it flat? Is it moving? Is it textured? It's flat. It's just blue. Okay. Stay with it, buddy. What's happening now? Oh, well, it's like there's little black things like rising up into it. He's just describing the feelings in terms of visuals for him Mm -hmm. that works. And it's so fun because when he's talking about black or blue, you know, that kind of corresponds with what you would think depression would look like. And then he'll start moving through and he'll get to like, it's, it's red now. Oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. Well, yeah, it's like red and it's moving kind of like a river and he'll keep going and then he'll get to yellow. And I know yellow is somehow more of a positive emotion for him. And all this just because I held space for him. Mm -hmm. So we can do it for ourselves, hold space to feel and heal and then teach our kids to do it. Yeah. 
Oh, what a cool exercise and how powerful that you can do it for him and with him. And like you said, we can do it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So many women don't even recognize in their bodies what they're feeling. And I'm totally guilty of this as well. I've talked before on my show about how I am someone who is very, very much in my head. And it's taken therapists saying to me, okay, but where is it in your body? Like come back into your body and feel it. And because mm-hmm. I want to process it all up in my head, probably because it feels safe to stay up in my head totally. than to actually come down and feel in my body. You know what's interesting? Our left brain, the Broca's area, is responsible for language. And a lot of times we'll try to process emotion just with language. But mm. if we can drop into the body, we're using more of the right brain, the intuitive, the emotional. And if you can talk about it, that's great. But if you can feel it as well, you're going to process through emotion and develop way deeper emotional resilience more quickly. You'll get skilled at this. You'll be able to do it more quickly. You'll be able to help your kids do it. And it's simple. Just remember, ask them, what are you feeling in your body? What's going on there? Then listen, reflect it back. Oh, you're seeing blackness. What else? Stick with it. You've got Mm -hmm. this. If you were to shine a flashlight under there, honey, what would you see? Everyone can do it. I promise. Yeah. And when you mentioned the five senses, I think going through those and tapping into those can be really powerful. I've known this concept of how important it is to feel your emotions since I started going to therapy about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet it's hard for me to to actually know how to do it. I'm sometimes like, okay, do I just lay on my bed and think, I'm here, sadness. I'm ready <laughs> to feel you. Like, come right. get me. Right. You know, <laughs> like, what do you, and, and I've heard to allow yourself to make the sound that you may be feeling inside, which mm-hmm. might be like moaning in pain. And these are things that we are too inhibited to do on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. when you hold space for yourself and you're alone and you say, I'm really going to go through my five senses and I'm going to make the sound and I'm going to think about the color and I'm going to cry if I need to, and I'm going to feel it all. Then that's when those emotions can kind of actually dissipate and leave our bodies and move through us. Right? Exactly. And another kind of side tip with this is our brains are smart. They're thinking 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day, only presenting 10% of those to our conscious mind. I don't think we realize our brains give us these uncomfortable sensations so that we will pay attention to what's Mm. going on there and allow it to move out of the nervous system. And if we ignore Mm. it, problems happen. We all know what can happen when you stuff your emotions. Eventually, it's going to break free in some really disastrous and traumatic way. And we'd rather keep processing it as we go. So we recognize we can handle any feeling. Yeah. And it may come out in, you know, an outburst of emotion in time when you'd rather not have that or screaming at your kids or something, but it can also stay inside and physically you can get sick from Mm -hmm. unprocessed feelings and emotions. And I've, I've had a lot of weird health things over the last 10 years. And in the last few years, as I've become more emotionally resilient and I've learned how to process emotions, a lot of those things have kind of mysteriously resolve themselves. <laughs> Isn't that fun? I love that. And it is. And like, I look back and my doctors are like, well, there's really no reason why you suddenly went into remission from this thing. And I'm like, maybe it's because I'm a lot happier and a lot more emotionally resilient because I'm mm-hmm. processing emotions and not just stuffing stuff or mm-hmm. keeping it all in my brain anymore. So, and I'm naturally more of a skeptic. I think I'm kind of like, you know, this kind of, a lot of this stuff might be kind of woo woo, but as I've embraced it and started to live it, I've actually seen the results in my life and in my health. 
you know, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I forget the author, mm-hmm. but this is all really, really science-based and brain scan-based. Yeah. And they they know this stuff by studying Vietnam vets and the trauma and PTSD that they experienced. And it's all very real. And the techniques ha- have worked. There's deeper techniques like EMDR therapy for those who have had a severe trauma to work with a therapist to move and process strong, strong memories out of your nervous system. Um, Mm -hmm. For the like kind of logical skeptic in me, it's sometimes good for me to actually read the science behind it in order to convince myself that it's okay, that I'm not a weirdo for laying there and moaning in my sadness in my bed. Yes. Well, (laughs) it's absolutely true, this stuff. And why is it that you think that we resist certain emotions as women, especially? Oh, well, we live in a society that since the onset of television, at least, has taught us that you should only be happy. And Mm. June Cleaver was only happy. I mean, she woke up and had her pearls on and her A-line dress. And we don't live in a society currently where it's, it's celebrated to take that space for yourself to feel and talk about it. I think it's changing. Millennials are excellent at this. Generation Z is excellent at this. And I'm Gen X. Um, we're getting better at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just this morning was thinking about my very first experience I ever had in therapy. The therapist had given me a deck of cards that had all different emotions on it. And she told me to sort them into piles and she didn't care how I sorted them. She said, just sort these. I want to see how you sort them. And so I started looking at them and I decided to do three piles. One was good emotions. Um, One was emotions that aren't good, but every once in a while you have to feel them Mm -hmm. and it's okay. And then the last pile was emotions that are bad and it's never okay to feel them. Wow. It would be interesting for me to go back and look at what I had put in those three piles. But I remember the counselor trying to talk through with me, well, why did you put those in those three piles? And it's just so interesting that throughout our lives, we do internalize as children and growing up what emotions are okay, quote unquote, and what are not. And we really try not to feel the ones that we think are not okay. Mm -hmm. And you know what helps me with this? There's a, a scale out there created by, I think it's David Hawkins, called the emotion scale. And he likes to talk about emotion in terms of energetic vibration. So he would say that the lowest vibration emotion, which would also be the most awful and uncomfortable, is shame. And then Mm -hmm. you move up through, I can't say them all in perfect order, but you move up through worry and depression, anger somewhere kind of in the middle, because anger often pushes us into action to change something to set a boundary. And then you mm-hmm. go on up. And of course, we all know love, joy, and peace up at the top. The highest vibe emotions are where we want to return. So having this scale is important when you're feeling low. You can just say, okay, my vibration has shifted. If I stick with my feelings, do my feel it to heal it, it will shift back. It's going to move through these emotions on the way back up. Just like my Mm. son moved from black to blue to, and then eventually to yellow. I could hear in his description that he was moving back into the higher vibe emotions, even though he didn't know that. So Mm. that's really helpful for me. Yeah. So interesting. And, and so helpful to someone, like I said, that maybe feels more logical for them to understand uh, intellectually, what is happening that they're moving through these emotions and then allow it to happen in yes. their body. Yes. Instead of resisting with 
too much time on Netflix or Instagram, or a lot of people go for the wine, you know, or the sugar. We're just numbing and trying not to feel it when we do those things. Yeah. And I shame myself. I shame emotions and I shame my shame. Yeah. (laughs) You know, versus just saying, yep, I'm feeling this and eventually I'm going to move back up through these vibrations like you described and yeah. and just looking at it without judgment of what I'm feeling. We all feel shame. So why judge it? It just is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And then what is your third takeaway for how we can build more of this emotional resilience? Yeah. So we've held space, tip one, and then takeaway two, feel it to heal it. The third one is kind of to protect your positive energy by creating healthy boundaries. And we all know the Mm -hmm. importance of boundaries, but I think a lot of us don't know exactly what it means. So I have this really clear cut definition that I want to share. So some people Mm -hmm. hear this and they resist it, but everyone just feel into it and see what you think. My definition of a healthy boundary is saying that I'm responsible for my thoughts, feelings, and actions, and not responsible for the thoughts, feelings, and actions of another person. Mm -hmm. So many of us falsely believe that a healthy boundary means we're going to demand that people respect us and they clean the house and they don't get to say that or act like that. But that's really not it. A healthy boundary is you changing your response to something that makes you uncomfortable or gives you an emotion you don't love, such as when you say these words, honey, I'm going to shut the door and be separate from you until you return to more positive words. Or um, when you fail to unload the dishwasher, well, I then have to hire a housekeeper because I can't do everything in this house. What are you going to do being responsible for your thoughts, feelings, and actions and not trying to control or manipulate someone else's thoughts, feelings, and actions? In the end, they're responsible for their thoughts, feelings, and actions. So what do you think, Rachel? Like or dislike? (laughs) Like like so much. And I think you're right that we misunderstand that. We think it's like, well, I'm not going to let you talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. Well, you actually can't change the way someone else talks to you. So instead saying, if you talk to me like that, this is what I will do. I will walk away. That is a boundary. And I recently saw a post on Instagram It was actually from a therapist who said, set boundaries with your family before you get together with them for the holidays. And her example was, send them a text and say, here are some guidelines that would be helpful for me. No diet talk, no politics talk, no religion talk. (laughs) And and when I read that, I thought, I don't think that's a boundary. That's trying to control other people. And a few people commented and said, my family would think I was so controlling if I sent this text, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the more I thought about it, I commented and responded and said, I think it would be texting your family and saying, hey, I've been doing a lot of inner work and I need to protect that or however you want to explain it and just say, if politics, diet or religion come up, I want to let you guys know that I'm going to be excusing myself to go take a walk. Yeah. So you're setting the boundary up front, what you will do if those things come up, as well as I think by giving them the heads up, they may avoid those topics, but you're not saying you will not talk about these things in my presence, right. which is pretty controlling to say that yeah. to someone. You know? Yeah, totally. I agree. What are you going to do when you don't like how a situation or a person or words are draining your energy or shifting your emotions, you get to protect and preserve your energy and your emotions however you want. 
Yes. And another thing that has helped me a lot in the last year learning about boundaries is realizing that boundaries don't just protect us. They protect other people from us. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, so like, I think I always thought that setting boundaries was maybe like a I'm taking care of myself type of attitude, you know, and I'm going to set these boundaries to protect myself. And then I realized that, no, when you have good boundaries, you're not going to lash out at people. You're not going to resent them. You're not going to get drained. And so thinking of that protective boundary as not only protecting you, but protecting other people, mm-hmm. I think has helped me feel more permission to set boundaries because I realized this isn't just all about me. This is about others too. And how does this go back to this overarching topic of emotional resilience? How will we be more emotional resilient when we have good boundaries? When you have poor boundaries, you feel justified in being upset by another person's actions. You allow all of these people and situations you can't control to bring you down, lower your vibe, you know, your emotional vibration down into those anger, worry, fear, frustration. It's knowing where you end and that you are responsible for how you think, feel, and behave. Yeah. Well, this has been so insightful. And I think you're absolutely right that these three takeaways are really kind of pillars of becoming more emotionally resilient, being able to hold space for yourself, to feel your emotions, and to have healthy boundaries to protect yourself and others from you. Um, (laughs) And if listeners want to hear and learn more from you, you have a wealth of information. Where would you like them to go? Yeah, come subscribe to my podcast, Vibrant Happy Women. We talk about all of these things. Okay, great. And you've been doing it for years. How long have you been podcasting? Since 2016. Yeah. So there's so, so much there that people can go and dive in. And thank you so much for your time today and for all your work. Thank you, Rachel. It's been fun. What a fabulous conversation with Dr. Jen Ride about how to build our emotional resilience as moms. I want so badly to continue developing these skills within myself and to be more proactive about teaching them to my children. Because if they have these skills, they will be able to withstand whatever challenges life throws at them and remain true to themselves and their values. The best way to teach our children how to be emotionally resilient is to develop it within ourselves and then model it for them. But I also think we can have explicit conversations about these three takeaways and consciously help our children to develop these abilities within themselves. So by way of recap, these are the three takeaways. First, practice holding space for yourself. This may sound like a bit of a nebulous concept, but I love the simple way that Jen defined it. She said, it's giving myself space to understand what I think and what I feel. We can hold space for ourselves by not overfilling our schedules, by creating a personal retreat within our homes, and or developing a meaningful journaling or meditation practice that just gives us the chance to metabolize our experiences and learn from them. I love that Jen pointed out that holding space for yourself is true self-care. Second, feel it to heal it. The best way to process emotions is to stick with them, as Jen said, or in other words, stay in your body and notice them, name them, envision them, and breathe them in without judgment or overthinking. And third and finally, create healthy boundaries. This is essential if you want to protect your ability to stay resilient. You have to know what you need emotionally and how to guard it, as well as know what is not your stuff to handle. Remember, boundaries are what you will do to protect your needs, not what you expect others to do. 
Before we end, I wanted to mention that many of the concepts that Jen and I touched on in this episode are covered in much more depth in my nine-month program, Self-Assured Motherhood. There is an entire module devoted to learning how to bolster your boundaries and an entire module on how to sanctify your soul care. So if you listen to this and know you want and need to take action, but you're just not sure where to start or you'd like some accountability and community as you work on your resilience, this program is for you. Remember that you can go to 3in30podcast.com slash interested to get on the list for more information. My friends, I'm so grateful to you for being here and for learning and growing with me. I know that as we become more emotionally resilient, we will become happier mothers with more ability to stay patient and grounded, even through the many ups and downs of parenting. As always, I'm rooting for you and thinking of you, and I hope you have a great week with your family. 